Amen. If you want to turn to Matthew chapter 28, we will look at in a few minutes, in a few moments. Um, all our songs we've been singing, all the lyrics uh, kind of sum up my sermon in a brilliant way. It's uh, given us a perfect setting for us to reflect on this wonderful passage. It's Easter. He is risen. Hallelujah, he is risen indeed. You ask a lot of the average person in the street what's Easter all about, and I'm sure a lot of the answers you get will be about chocolate and family and buns and bunnies and eggs and so on. Of course, we the church, we've got a very different focus, haven't we? Jesus himself, God himself, he came in the flesh to rescue us. He died for us, he rose again for us. It's not just something that happened to a man of history, it's something that happened to God himself. Why? Well, Easter is about the unfolding of the greatest promise ever made. Easter embodies a promise that underneath all our you know, humanities toing and froing throughout history, there is, there is a yearning for this promise to come true, even if people can't articulate it or even don't realise that's what's underneath their desire for finding fulfilment and the answer to what life is all about. Easter embodies a promise the greatest promise of all. In uh, Lord of the Rings, got any Lord of the Rings fans in the house? Got a few, got a few. I thought Pete might be. Yeah, absolutely. Samwise Gamgee is Frodo's best friend. They're both hobbits. And right at the end, Samwise wakes up and he realises the possibility that maybe the impossible has come true and victory has been won, the ultimate victory over the great enemy. And he's he just, as it's dawning on him, it's like, Dare, dare I believe this? And he turns to Gandalf, the great wise wizard, and he says to him, is everything sad going to come untrue? And we live in a world where that question ultimately is forever on people's lips. Perhaps it's unspoken, perhaps it's unconscious, but it's a silent heart's cry in humanity. At the very least, it's silent. If not, it is out loud. Is everything sad ever going to come untrue? Is that remotely possible? And we live in a world where everything changes rapidly, <laughs> don't it just? Look at the past few years. And so often, therefore, seemingly not for the better, everything feels increasingly uncertain. There are spiraling levels of anxiety, understandably, I get that. Nothing is entirely reliable, but it all just proves that anything that is delivered by or promised by man can never fully satisfy or console us. That is not where we find our hope or our security, is it? In, in our Humanity's search for hope and contentment and purpose. There's always obstacles, there's always traps, there's something to ruin it, to spoil it, to prove it's where we're looking for contentment, proves it's not satisfying. There's, there's obstacles and traps inside us <laughs> as well as outside us as well. People try many different ways of finding comfort and security and so on, and none of them ever form, contain any form of immovable guarantee, do they? All those promises that the world makes, that so they're blurry, they're shaky, or they're downright self-serving themselves. There is only one place in this life that we can, where we can fully place our trust, and that place is a person. Perfect, unshakable God. Still on the Tolkien theme, uh, March the 25th was two weeks ago yesterday. It was National Tolkien Day. Anybody know this? There's someone who goes, oh yes, I celebrated it, yes. Um, I, I didn't. Um, so J.R.R. Tolkien, he's the, um, he's the author of The Hobbit, it's kind of the prequel to Lord of the Rings, and there's a great epic trilogy of books. 
And on National Tolkien Day, on March the 25th, uh, events are held by fans. There's local events, there's discussions, there's public readings. Fans will also just read a portion of, uh, of Tolkien's books uh, in private on the day just to celebrate J.R.R. Tolkien. Why the 25th of March, I ask? Have a guess. Why do they, have they chosen March the 25th? Come on, Paul, give us the answer. No idea. He was born? That would be an obvious answer, wouldn't it? It's not his date of birth. March the 25th is a significant date in the books. Oh, because those books, they're about the great enemy Sauron, who is consumed by his hatred and his desire for power. And he's got this creeping kingdom of evil that threatens to dominate the whole world, this great shadow that's ever-growing. And all his power is tied to this one ring that needs to be destroyed. That's what the mission is all about. And according to the book's calendar, to its own timeline, it's March the 25th is the day that the ring is destroyed and the great enemy is defeated. So March the 25th, in Lord of the Rings, it marks the passing of the shadow and the birth of a new era. That's Lord of the Rings, 1,500 pages in a nutshell. There you go. Don't need to read it now. No, read it. It's brilliant. Why am I telling you this, March the 25th? Well, Tolkien, he was openly Christian. He was a follower of Christ. And he chose that date on purpose. Because traditionally, throughout history, March the 25th has been associated by the church with many things, including the creation of Adam. It's been associated with that. And Jesus' conception, I think it's the birth of Isaac as well, a number of different things. But particularly, March the 25th, traditionally throughout history, by the church has been associated with Jesus' death on the cross, March the 25th. Now, according to our current church calendar, Easter moves about all over the shop, doesn't it? Sometimes it's in March, sometimes it's in April. It's all to do with being the first Sunday after the first full moon after the spring solstice or equinox. Don't start me. I'd rather it was just the nearest weekend to March the 25th. But March the 25th traditionally marks the weekend when the enemy was defeated and a new era was birthed. And so as believers... That date marks the event where we find our confidence, where we discover the promise coming true. And Tolkien wanted to stamp that into his own written work of fiction, his epic of good versus evil. So he placed that date on purpose and to mark the victory in the books. And he says himself, these are his own words, Tolkien says, the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus means that one day everything sad will come untrue. In Easter we find the promise that we're all looking for. And it's guaranteed. Because we're not following a set of rules, a nice set of tenets to, to live by. We're following a person. One who is the most powerful and benevolent being in the universe and who on a very real, particular weekend in history, he died and he rose again from the dead to secure the victory that we are all in desperate need of. And so, while Christianity is often misunderstood... Uh, to be about niceties and kindness and going to church and being devout and all that. Actually, ultimately, Christianity is in fact the, is simply the outworking of that weekend 2,000 years ago, which changed the world forever. That weekend is the hinge in history when God himself had he'd stepped into human form to rescue us from our mess, standing in our place, living the perfect life that we never could be able to do, and he died the death that we otherwise have brought upon ourselves. God himself doing that. And that is where he crushed our enemies, those obstacles, those traps, 
inside and outside of us. We'll talk about them at length in a bit, but there's three. For example, inside us there's sin. That is our belief that we know better than him. He dealt with that on the cross. Outside of us, there's the devil. He's very real. He's determined to steal glory from God and take us down with him. Jesus dealt with him on the cross. And then there's a rather great enemy ahead of us, death as well, which is ultimately celebration, uh, celebration, separation from God. Ultimately, it's not just physical death, it's a spiritual thing. Ultimately, getting what we ask for, every time we ask uh, to do things our way, ultimately we're saying to God, I don't want you right now, I want this. If you persist in that, you get that. You don't get him. Death, separation from him. Jesus dealt with death on the cross for us. And all those enemies were vanquished by him 2,000 years ago. And so leaning on his great work alone and not on anything that we can do ourselves, that brings us into the new life that his subsequent resurrection guarantees. That explosive weekend 2,000 years ago, that very real historically recorded event, is a great promise that we can step into when everything sad starts becoming untrue. And as we look at the gospel accounts, we actually discover more of this absolute security that we're going to do now, this concrete hope we have in him, both for now and for the future. We can find out more in uh, Matthew 28, verses 1 to 10. Let's read through these and see what the angel says to them. Right from the start of the chapter, um, Jesus has, has been uh, arrested, um, tortured, crucified, he's died, he's in the tomb. On Saturday, the disciples are distraught, it's all over. But this is what happens the next morning, on the third day. Now after the Sabbath, which was the Saturday, so Sunday morning, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. And they ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them. And he said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. There's those words again. Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. And there they will see me. Those three phrases I want to focus on for the next 20 minutes or so. Do not be afraid. Let's look at those words. And then what the uh, angel says, just as he told you. This has happened just as he told you. Let's look at that phrase. And thirdly, you will see him. Which the angel says, and then Jesus tells, the, <laughs> tells them to tell the next layer of disciples, they're going to see me. Tell them. Do not be afraid. Just as he told you, you will see him. That's a promise for the disciples, but that's a promise for us as well. So let's investigate further. First of all, do not be afraid. Why do we fear? We do it, don't we? We fear things, we worry about things. We get afraid, don't we, about different things. Ultimately, it's about not believing. From a Christian context, it's not about 
It's, it's about not believing or fully grasping the truth. Because if, if fear is the unconscious part of us sensing a threat, whether that's a real one or an imagined one, it makes us twitchy or gets us adrenaline pumped, ready to fight or run away, right? I'm scared about this, I need to deal with it, I need to stand and fight this, or I need to run away. It's your body going, oh, you're going to die. No, it's all right, it's just a bit of social anxiety. <laughs> it's just your amygdala in your brain going, oh, they're going to kill you. No, no, they're just strangers, it's okay. That's what's happening, it's getting you pumped, ready to, run or fight, uh, to fight or run away. But as believers... Whenever we fear changes in our circumstances, for example, um, about the, the um, concerns about the future, wherever it might be, it's, we start to refuse to believe that God will catch us, don't we, if we do that? We don't fully grasp that God, he wants the best for us, and he's able and intending to provide that. That's when we start getting shaky, don't we? We've all done it, we all do it. Has the truth about God's goodness and reliability and power and involvement ever changed? No. <laughs> so why do we get shaky? We still do it, don't we? There's a reason there are nearly, uh, was it nearly 400? There's 300 and something do not fears and do not be afraid uh, in the Bible, in, in God's word. There's a reason why there's hundreds of them in there because he knows we're human, but we also need to know that he's God. And so misunderstanding or refusing to believe God's proven character is what lies beneath so much of our mess and confusion, if, if not all of it, really. But trying harder not to fear, <laughs> that's not the key, that doesn't help. We're not very good at that, are we? Must try harder. That's not the answer. The answer is in knowing his character, in knowing him. It's about knowing a person. And so here at Easter... We see the truth about Jesus in which we find our rest and our comfort and our peace. I need to not be afraid. And the resurrection seals the cross. It's not just two, it's not two events. It's one big event wrapped up in one. He died and rose again. It needs to be in the same breath. And the resurrection seals the cross. You remember those three enemies I mentioned, inside us, outside of us, and ahead of us. Sin, devil, and, the, and death. See what, the, see what the resurrection does for this. Like sin, for example. Sin as a power is a, it's a brokenness inside us. It's a sickness that we also enjoy and we feed. It's not, we can't just leave it at the metaphor of sickness. It is. It's, it's a sickness. It's a condition in us. But we can't go, oh, it's not, my, it's not my fault. I can't help it. I'm sick. I can't help being ill. We can then pass on the responsibility, can't we? But we actually enjoy it and we feed it. We, we, we choose to dive into it, don't we? Both. It's both a slave owner, but it's also a lover. It both controls us and we seek it out, don't we? That's sin. And we play mind games to excuse our sinful actions. We give reasons why we can get away with something. We try and justify it. Or, or just, like, I can't help it. It's just the way I am. I can't change um, we justify ourselves in the, in the things that we know don't honour God ultimately. We know what each of those are for us individually as well. They're all different often. But we get caught in the trap of believing that there are no consequences in the moment. We fool ourselves, don't we? But then we fester in the aftermath when we realise there are consequences. Jesus on the cross, he broke that cycle for us categorically by carrying the consequences of those actions on our behalf he was overwhelmed by the cumulative darkness of billi us billions of humans. 
in one hit on his shoulders. He carried our collective shame. But then in his resurrection, he birthed a new life for us that is no longer held captive by that abusive slave owner, nor so easily wooed by that duplicitous lover. He's broken that for us. And so stepping into new life with Jesus, finding forgiveness in him, and and learning increasingly to live a life that is set free from the power of sin. That is the promise coming true of his death and his resurrection. Jesus dealt with sin 2,000 years ago. This is the truth. Step into it. But there's other enemies, aren't there? There's, outside of us, there is the devil. Like I say, he's very real. He's a real entity. He's a person. He's a fallen angel who was determined to push God from his throne in the very beginning. And so God threw him out, rightly so. But he's determined to, now here on earth, determined to keep God from the throne of our hearts here too. His sole intent is to dethrone God in any way he can. He's real and he's active and we need to not be blind to that. But on the cross... Jesus triumphed over him, he disarmed him and put him to open shame. You can read about that in Colossians chapter 2. And the resurrection, again, proved that Jesus could not be kept dead, that the devil had not won and was not standing over a dead God. No, instead, Jesus is alive and well and leading a victory parade, and in fact, he's standing over a defeated devil. The opposite. Jesus dealt with the devil 2,000 years ago. This is the truth. Step into it. But also ahead of us, death is our great enemy too. But the Bible talks about it's our last enemy, our final enemy. Because of our sin, there's our physical demise, but there's also death with a capital D, if you like, our spiritual demise, an eternal one. That too was dealt with 2,000 years ago. Jesus trampled death. We sang about it earlier. He trampled our final enemy. Jesus' resurrection then gives us eternal life with an eternal Father when you choose him, the source of all that is good. We get life with a capital L. And so, seriously, it's, it's not a big riddle to unpick. What is better? Eternity with God, who is the ultimate fountain of all goodness, or not? What it boils down to, doesn't it? Because they give you what you choose, with or without, life or death. And Jesus made it possible. He dealt with death 2,000 years ago. This is the truth. Step into it. If you, if you have chosen him, his victory on the cross over sin, over the devil, over death, that victory is yours too. It's a fact. If you have chosen him, his resurrected life belongs to you too now so that you can live in his light forever starting now. So living in that truth is what is meant by do not be afraid. He's alive. Do not fear. Now the the disciples are still nervous. You read in verse 8. There's still some fear going on. Where is it? Verse 8. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. Now, that's that's okay. There's there's a healthy mix here of reverent awe, but also appreciation of something they don't fully understand. It's okay for our little human minds to feel a bit freaked out by things we don't understand. (laughs) God's okay with that. 
but it's also sprinkled with this healthy portion of great joy. Why? Because it suddenly dawned on them, everything sad is coming untrue. Our Lord is back from the dead. So the angel saying to them, do not be afraid, because just like he said he would, he's back. Suddenly that triggers something fresh in their hearts. Saturday, they were terrified and hiding. Sunday, something's triggered in them because they realize the truth that their Lord is alive. Do not fear. Know the truth. Step into it. And then there's that lovely phrase that the, uh, the angel says, um, he is risen, where is it? He is risen, um, just as he said. As he said. Don't you love it when someone says, you know, someone close to you, someone you trust, they say, I've got you. I'll sort this. Don't worry. It will be okay. Now, when it's someone you know who, who does fight to live up to their word, there is a comfort and a hope you wouldn't otherwise have when you hear those words, right? Unfortunately, it's quite a rarity because we're talking about humans. <laughs> but Jesus' words are the most reliable in the world, aren't they? Now, the London Stock Exchange, they have a motto, my word is my bond. As in, you don't need a written contract. I'm as good as my word. I'll still have questions. But, but Jesus' word is his bond. In fact, his word is, is Scripture. God breathed. So verse 6, where the angel says, as he said. You see it elsewhere in Luke chapter 24, another perspective on the same events. Luke chapter 24, verse 6, says, He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you. But God, he's actually spelt it out black and white for you. Don't forget, remember what he said. He's done what he said he would do. And then if you go back further in time to when Jesus told them, Mark chapter 8, verse 31 it says, and Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days rise again, he spoke plainly about this. They can't say he didn't tell them. What Jesus says goes. What he says will happen, happens. What he says he will do, he does. And so Jesus said that he would proclaim good news to the poor. And he did. Jesus said he would give sight to the blind. And he did. Jesus said he would suffer. And he did suffer. Jesus said he would be killed. And he was killed. And Jesus said he would rise again. And he did rise again. Jesus said he would set the captives free. And he is doing that even today. Amen? He's doing it. So why should we not be afraid? Because time and time again, Jesus has proven he's as good as his word. His word is his bond. Just as he said, he's done it, and he's doing it. We need to celebrate, don't we? And then there's those other words that the angel says, you will see him. Wonderful promise. You will see him. He's going before you to Galilee, you will see him. In fact, these ladies, they see him on the way, don't they? And then Jesus tells them, tell the others to go to Galilee, they'll see me. It's not, it's not just some, word, some you know, consoling words like, he's alive, don't worry about it. It's not just that, it's like, you will see him. 
You know, you feel the soothing nature of those words, you know? I mean, to hear it like a best friend or a loved one, for example, someone who's been seriously ill, to then to hear the news that they've recovered, that is one thing, isn't it? But then to hear that you've not only not lost them, but you'll see them again, that is an absolute balm to the soul, isn't it? Like, Derek had some serious, if you don't mind me saying, Derek had some serious surgery a few weeks ago, didn't he? A couple of months ago, guessing, something like that. And it's all a bit of a blur now, isn't it? Um, it was serious. It was emergency surgery, and there was a high percentage he wasn't going to make it um, through the surgery. 20-something percent of risk of losing Derek. So we were all praying. We were frantically pleased. We don't want to lose Derek. And we heard the wonderful news on the prayer WhatsApp group. Derek's made it through. He's awake. It was successful. Praise the Lord. We cheered. But that still didn't match up to that Sunday morning when he came a few weeks ago, and we gave you a big cheer. Derek's in the house. We've seen him. It was a whole other level. Now, I'm not comparing Derek to Jesus. <laughs> only a little bit. But for the disciples to hear that their beloved Jesus is no longer dead is mind-blowing enough. But to know that they'll see him again is absolute dynamite, isn't it? And they did, just like he promised. And then Jesus, like I say, he, he, he tells, he finally, he, very quickly, he meets with the, the ladies and he, and he says to them, the two Marys, he says, go and tell the other disciples to go ahead uh, um, to Galilee and they will see me there as well. And so he then spent 40 days giving many unavoidable proofs to many hundreds of people that he was alive. It wasn't a secret. It was open and it was public. People walked with him and they talked with him and they ate with him and they saw him walk through locked doors. And they, they, they saw him cook and eat breakfast with them on the beach. They touched his wounds. They held his feet here. He consoled them and he breathed on them and he blessed them and he was lifted up to heaven in front of them. It was unavoidable. Jesus, who had died, was alive and they saw him. And therefore, everything else about him was true too. That he wasn't just some miracle performer. It was God himself who had given himself for us. And so again, this new life with a capital L that he offers, what it means to be fully human forever, he gives that to you and to me if we simply remove ourselves from the throne of our own lives and let him sit in it instead. His resurrection life then becomes ours. And the heartbeat of it is always, therefore it's not about us, it's about him. He's the glorious, bright, shining sun that we need to be revolving around, not the other way around. And the resurrection, like I say, it turned terrified, defeated men and women into people who themselves turned the world upside down, is a language that's used later. Why? Because they'd seen the living king of the universe. And the same goes for us. Both spiritually and physically, we, we see him and we will see him. We sang about it. Spiritually now, the vast majority of us here, we have met with him, haven't we? We may not have seen him with our physical eyes, but the eyes of our hearts have been opened and we have repeatedly gazed upon his goodness time and time and time again. We see him in the character changes that he's wrought in us and our brothers and sisters around us. We see him in breakthroughs and 
miracles and answers to prayer and, and in the wondrous moments when we meet together and when he makes his presence overtly known amongst us, we see him living up to his word time and time and time again. Amen? We see that. But also physically in the future, we will see him. We will see him face to face just like he said. Jesus said he's coming back for us. John chapter 14 uh, from verse 2 says, My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. He's coming back for us one day. And then 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. And then in Revelation chapter 22, that's that wonderful vision that John has of the future kingdom, the future age, the new earth, heaven and earth melded as one. And this is what he sees. The throne of God and of the Lamb, Jesus, will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face. I can't wait to see Jesus' face. Oh, just choke the thought of it. Just chokes me up. I cannot wait. We can completely and utterly rest in his assurance. When Jesus says he'll do something, he'll do it. While we see him at work now, one day we will see him unveiled in the flesh in all his brilliance, face to face, just like he said. Amen. I want to finish now. I think we just need to sing. But the empty tomb is the very linchpin of Christianity. It's not only the greatest moment in history, it's also the greatest promise over us come true. It means that in Jesus we find absolute hope, complete security, no fear, only joy and peace. So for all of us who have placed our hope in him, the words of the angel to the disciples are Jesus' words to us too. Do not be afraid. Just as I said, you will see me. Jesus' death and resurrection means that for us, his people, everything sad is coming untrue. Have you stepped into that promise? Are you continuing to do so? Let me pray and let us sing. Jesus, we celebrate you. We thank you that one day we will see you face to face, not as a defeated God, but as a risen victorious king, bright shining like the sun, Enough to blind us and beyond. You're beyond our imagination, but I'm glad you've been able to get this to us in words that we can at least grasp some scratching the surface of this amazing, glorious truth and we can step into it and know new life because of you. Lord, as we sing these songs, Holy Spirit, will you help us to celebrate, to jubilate, to party, to glorify you with every ounce of our being because that is what you and you alone deserve. You've defeated our great enemies. You've dealt with the sickness in us. you made us free and whole and clean and pure for eternity. And we love you. Help us to celebrate you, we, we, we ask in Jesus' name. Your precious name, we pray these things. Amen.